Will you be my life when I cannot see? And when I can't take another step, Lord, will you carry me? And when I've lost my fight, will you be my strength? Will you set me a table in the presence of my enemies? My soul got a shepherd in the valley, and I shall not want. I shall not want. I shall not want. Cause my cock's running over, running over, and I shall not want. And I will lift my eyes to where my help comes from. And I won't be afraid of the shadow, cause I'll see the sun. No, I will not stop when the way gets hard. Cause the green only grows in the valley, and that's where you are. Say, I shall not.
behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the king in the theme of heaven's praises robed in frail humanity in our longing in our darkness now the light of life has come look to christ who condescended took on flesh to ransom morning everybody it is it's a joy to be able to gather together to sing together and hear from God's word if you're new here my name is Jay I'm one of the pastors here and if you're joining us online thank you for for joining us there as well I'm going to begin our service with um, a call to worship from Ephesians chapter 2 
verses 8 through 10. Would you stand with us as we begin our time together? And um, I say this each week. Hopefully it doesn't get too repetitive and then fall on deaf ears. I really mean this, that I encourage you to prepare your hearts as you listen to these words from God to prepare your hearts for worship today. This is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let me pray for us. O oh God of grace, would you help us boast not in our own strength, not in our own wisdom or ability, but in you. God, as, as we sing, would you remind us that all that we have and all that we are is because of your grace and kindness to us. May we remember that we are not saved out of something you saw in us, but out of your own unconditional love and through your grace alone. God, would your Holy Spirit be in this place helping us to see the riches of your mercy and by that be changed and grow in likeness of Christ. God, we come to exalt your name this morning. Would you help us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's sing together. Orphan lost at the fall, running away when I'd hear you call. But Father, you worked your way. I had no righteousness of my own, I had no right to draw near your throne. But Father, you loved me still. And in love before the made the world's foundation. Predestined to adopt me as your own. You have raised me up so high above my station. I'm a child of God by grace and grace alone. your home to seek out the lost. You knew the great and terrible cause. When Jesus, your face was set. I worked my fingers down to the bone. Nothing I did could ever atone. Jesus, you paid my debt. By 
your blood I have redemption and salvation. But you died that I might reap what you have sown. And you rose that I might be a new creation. I am born again by grace and grace alone. I was in darkness all of my life I never knew the day from the night The Spirit you made me see I swore I knew the way on my own Head full of rocks, a heart made stone The Spirit you moved in me That your touch, my sleeping spirit was awakened on my darkened heart, the light of Christ has shone. Called into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And it's innocent by grace and grace alone. So I'll stand in faith by grace and grace alone. I will run the race by grace and grace alone. I will slay my sin by grace and grace alone. I will reach the end by grace and grace Praise, we pour out our praise, it's 
Lord. You may be seated. Uh, my name is Tyler. Uh, welcome to City Church. Uh, we are really glad to have you here. Um, I am a pastoral resident on staff with City Church. and We are a church aspiring to be an authentic community walking with God in our city. Um, lots of people have asked me what pastoral resident does and is, and yes, I do more than just get coffee for Ryan, Chipper, and Jay. Um, on staff, um, I sp focus specifically on reaching the city through community engagement and evangelism, people who aren't Christians. And so if you haven't met me yet, would love to meet you and talk to you. Feel free to come up after the service and say hello. Um, First things first, uh, connection cards. You have a connection card in your bulletin. At least you should when you walk through the door. Um, connection cards are ways that we can get to know you, and we'd love to interact with you personally. So you can fill that out, uh, putting your prayer requests on there specifically. We pray for you as a staff uh, monthly and weekly. So filling those out is a great way to get connected, and you can also express interest in the life of our church. Um, additionally, uh, and go ahead and put that in the receipt pocket after you fill it out so we can pick those up after the service. Additionally, we worship a generous God, and so part of our response of worship is giving generously. Most people at City Church give online. Uh, you can give online at citychurchgnv.com give, um, or there is also a brown box in the back of the sanctuary with envelopes, and you can fill those out um, as well. Uh, community groups are up and running. Uh, there's a lot of announcements today, so I'm going to try to go through these as efficiently as possible. Community groups are uh, the life of our church in the relational sense. Um, they meet multiple times a week, uh, different times of the week. You can learn more on the welcome table in the back of which groups might be fit for you. Um, and then as well, ask us after the service if you're interested in getting involved in one of those. Uh, they're never closed. They're always open. So, um, yeah, feel free to check out more info for that. Next Sunday, uh, if you are new to the life of our church, we are hosting a taste and see kind of snack slash after the service luncheon. Um, this is a great way to get to know our church a little bit better if you're new um, and then just meet some members of our staff. So that's happening after both services next Sunday. And then also next Sunday, uh, we have a team called the Street Outreach Team uh, that is part of our homeless ministry here. And so they are meeting as well next Sunday at 1.30. If you've never been a part of something like this before um, and have never done any street outreach, you can come at 1 o'clock to the community room, and people on that team will sit down and have a conversation and train you and talk about what it looks like to build relationships with people in downtown who might be experiencing homelessness. So this is a great opportunity. Um, again, you can just come at 1 o'clock and uh, receive the training that you might need. All right, so upcoming adult education classes. So we have really these next two weeks, a lot of a great opportunity for learning in the life of our church. The first one is a women's Bible study, which has already started. Uh, it's not too late to get involved. Uh, they meet Monday evenings at 8 p.m. on Zoom. If you want an online option, if you want to be in person, Tuesday mornings at 9.30, uh, you can come to the church and they're meeting. They're going through the book of Hebrews, and apparently it's been really great so far. So if you are a woman and you would love to get involved in that, it's definitely not too late. Fill out your connection card, and we can uh, connect you. Secondly, there's two classes coming up uh, next, uh, well, two weeks from now, on the same week starting. The first one is called Physical Education. So this one begins Mondays at 7 p.m., beginning, uh, this is February 21st. So this is the significance of God's presence and ours. So 
uh, we'll be looking at what does it mean when we talk about God's presence? Like, what do we mean when we say that? Um, you know, what does it mean that God is with us? And then kind of drawing implications from that theologically for our presence as a church, a presence in people's lives. Um, this is, a, I believe, a six-week class, and it's co-taught by Creekside Community Church. So we'll have a pastor from Creekside here, as well as Chipper will also be teaching that on Mondays. And then on Wednesdays, so two days after that, starting up is our class, Question Christianity. So this is a class, it's seven weeks long, um, really designed for people who are potentially skeptic about the Christian faith or the gospel, um, or even people who maybe have heard a lot about Christianity and are just interested now to go deeper into what does Christianity have to say about the biggest topics of life. So this is seven weeks long. We'll go through lecture material from Tim Keller, pastor in New York, and then uh, we'll share a meal together and then kind of have some dialogue. So this is a great opportunity if, again, this interests you, uh, but also if you have a friend maybe who you're like, hey, I'd love to invite to this thing. We're encouraging everyone to consider that, maybe bringing and inviting a friend and attending the class with that person. Um, but again, I've had people ask me, is this something for Christians to be a part of, especially if you want to know more about sharing your faith or evangelism? Definitely is. I would recommend it. Um, so I'll be leading it. So if you have any questions, just come talk to me after the service as well. All right, two final things. These are uh, later in the month of February, but we want to put them on your radar. Uh, on the 25th, 7 p.m., we are hosting a night of worship. Get excited. So the night of worship, we only do this once a semester. Um, it's a unique way for us to worship as a church, but then also do it in a way that um, just changes the experience. We rearrange the chairs. The band prepares like nine to ten songs. It's just a really great opportunity to worship the Lord. And so come out at 7 p.m. on the 25th for that. And then lastly, uh, on the 27th, this is a pretty special service, we have our City Roots launching service. So this City Roots campaign is the campaign for us moving forward with acquiring this building and buying it and renovating it. Um, and our launch service officially for that campaign or that project is starting um, on February 27th. So I won't tell you all the details for that to keep you anticipating it and not spoil it, but there's going to be a lot of special things on this service. So you do not want to miss it. Put it in your calendars um, and make sure to be here. All right. So. Uh, Last summer, we started a series or a segment in our, in our services called Gospel in Life. Uh, this is a segment essentially to um, just show the way that the gospel interacts with our lives even after we become Christians, but then also show the power of the gospel by giving people an opportunity to share testimonies about how they came to believe in Jesus and in, in Christianity. And so I want to invite Franklin Francois up here now. Uh, Franklin, yeah, please give a hand for Franklin. <laughs> so Franklin uh, has been a member of our church for several years, and he's a leader in our church. Um, many of you know him. Uh, so we are really grateful that he's offered to share his personal testimony with us this morning um, and give us an insight of how the gospel has changed his life. So here you go. Silence. Um, hi, everyone. As Tyler said, I'm Franklin Francois. I'm a member of City Church. I've been 
come to City Church since 2016, um, on and off. Uh, but uh, no, more permanently now. I don't know. Anyways, uh, yeah, I'm just thankful for City Church for giving me this opportunity to essentially um, share my testimony. I feel like it's a really cool way to bring the glory of the Lord forward and is another way of worship is by sharing our testimony. Um, so I want to begin really quick. I'm going to try to do this fast. Um, I want to begin um, kind of with Acts chapter 17. Um, like, I love this passage because in it, Paul goes to Athens and essentially he's talking to the people in Athens and he's telling them about God because they don't know who God is. They have these statues that say to the unknown God, so they're praying to this God that they don't know. Um, but in the passage specifically, he talks about how like, God has appointed people in specific places and times so that they might reach out to him. Um, and I think that's kind of where my story begins because I feel like God placed me in a family of believers. So that was my way to like reach to God was he put me in a family of people who already believed. So I was exposed to the gospel a lot as a kid. I grew up, I went to church, um, but I wouldn't have considered myself a Christian really. Um, my view of God as I was growing up was more so that God was a God of justice and wrath um, that he was just this, like, judge who sits in heaven that I have to, like, be, like, this good person in order to get into heaven. Um, and so, you know, that can be a really hard God to believe in, and, and I think it caused me to be a very moralistic person. Like, I just need to be good, and if I'm good, like, I'm in a good place with God. Um, so I kind of built my faith around that. I would say that it kind of became an idol for me to be good. Um, the word, like, reputation comes to mind. It's like I had to have a good reputation. Um, so that idol was challenged for me in middle school in seventh grade. Came to the realization that I was attracted to the, like, other guys. I was attracted to the same sex. Um, and so I think that caused for me a moment of, like, challenging my reputation and being this good kid, especially growing up in church and knowing that there's, like, a taboo against, you know, um, being gay or, yeah, having attraction to the same sex. Um, and so I think that kind of, like, rocked my world. And I think what it did, too, though, was it caused me to like go to God for answers because I felt like I couldn't really go to anyone else. I felt like I couldn't go to my parents, couldn't go to my friends in the church. I just didn't want people to know. I didn't want to bring that to like the surface. I didn't want to um, make it public. Um, so it amplified, I think what it did for me though is it amplified the gospel. And so I think where I once saw God as like being um, just like someone who lorded over us, I think I was tapping more into the idea of like, Jesus is also savior. Um, and in that moment, I was in a crisis. I felt like I needed someone to save me from what I was experiencing. Um, and so I would say that I heard the gospel, you know, the idea that like God wanted a relationship with us, that that relationship was broken through our indifference or our rebellion or our choosing other things instead of God. Um, and that he, um, because of that, we are, like, separated from God, right? And then um, through that separation, it says that we deserve death. Like, we deserve to be separated from God forever. But God's plan was that he didn't want us to be separated from him forever, so he sent Jesus um, to save us. Um, and through Jesus, we're able to have a relationship with God. Um, so I, I found that to be really compelling, especially the fact that, like, Jesus came to save us. Um, so... That happened, I prayed, all of that. But I noticed the attraction was still there. Like, after I prayed, I thought it was going to be gone. It wasn't. Um, and so I kind of tried to decide to take matters into my own hands. 
um, and just try to change myself. So I was very much into like arts and drawing and music and all that stuff. And I dropped all of that and picked up like PE and like, I don't know, like football and stuff, whatever. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I tried to like take it into my own because I didn't see the change come right away. Um, and I think what I noticed like looking back now is that God was changing my life, but he wasn't doing it in the way that I expected. And so um, what was changing about me necessarily wasn't my like attraction to other guys, but it was like my desire to like be in the word, my desire to be in community, um, my desire to like have a relationship with God and know who he is. So it was less about like figuring out who I am and more figuring about like who God was to help me figure out who I was. Um, and so, yeah, I think that was really instrumental in helping me to like understand that God does want to change me, but not necessarily in the ways that I originally thought. Um, so in college was the first time I opened up to anybody about this. I had never talked to anyone about it before. Um, and my fear really was that once I tell people, like the sky is gonna come falling down. Like it's going to like, my world is gonna end. Life as we know it is never gonna be the same. Um, but I was involved in crew as a freshman and I told a group of guys and they received me very graciously. And I think that that changed, like, yeah, that changed um, kind of my perception of vulnerability and how open I can be with what I'm struggling with as a Christian. Um, and I think God really used that to like bless me and to help me become more open and vulnerable in college. Um, so yeah, I would say that while I was going through college, God continued to walk with me. So he was walking with me through high school and helping me to like learn to love him more. And then in college, I would say that he was helping me to like break down a lot of misconceptions that I had about him, a lot of misconceptions that I had about myself. And so God was always kind of like helping me to see um, just how much he wanted to be a part of my life and transforming my life. And I think the big, big thing for me here was trying to, under, or God helping me to understand how I am still lovable even when I felt like I wasn't. Um, and having this really huge fear of like once I become vulnerable with what I'm wrestling with, that I would become unlovable and like people would run away from me. Um, but it was cool because I was telling people and they weren't running away. And I think that was um, really just like important to my growth and faith and something God that want, God wanted to show me in his character was like, he doesn't run away from us when we share things that we're wrestling with. Um, so yeah, after college, went into post-grad, um, right, not post-grad, I wasn't in grad school or anything, sorry. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that can be very misleading. Post, post-college, um, I think God was continuing to work in me and to solidify my identity and I think in that just like, how I shared that like when I first came to know the Lord, I kind of tossed away a lot of the things that I was interested in. And I feel like God was like, no, frankly, you need to pick that stuff up. You shouldn't have dropped that stuff that you liked before because like you thought that it defined you. That doesn't define you. I define you. So you can still like those things and you can love me. Um, and so I think I just began to become more confident in my identity and really start to sift through, okay, like what are the things that are actually like things that I should drop and what are the things I need to go back and pick up again um, that I thought I had to drop because of my appearance or whatever. Um, yeah, so now I 
get to work for the organization that I shared my story with. I get to work for Crew. Um, and I think I've been more open about sharing my testimony. You should have seen me the first time I shared my testimony. I was like teeth chattering, like just shaking. And uh, it wasn't even cold outside because it's Florida. But <laughs> that was my reaction. And now I'm here sharing it with all of y'all. Um, so yeah, I'm finding out, I think, how to plant deeper roots in my faith, um, learning how to be obedient and die to myself uh, daily, learning um, how to hear God's voice more, um, and to grow in my, the awareness of like my sin and depending on God's grace and mercy to catch me. Um, yeah. Yeah, to catch me when uh, this faith is just hard to walk out or live out. And, uh, and trusting that his grace and mercy will like carry me to completion of this faith. Like he will carry me all the way through. Um, and that he does not count my sins against me. Um, and desires to like know me more. And so it's always this journey of pressing in more with God and finding out more and him revealing more of himself and me learning more about myself. Um, and it's not always easy and it's not always fun, um, but it's good. Uh, so I would say that the, the thing that kind of has characterized my faith when it comes to like how I try to live my life now is through a passage in Romans, Romans chapter 12 verses one through, verses one and two. And it says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your life as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That way you might be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So when I think about, that's like the verse that I keep running through my mind when I think about how I ought to be living for him. Um, and him kind of giving me the definitions of like what that looks like. So... That's the short version of my testimony. Thank you guys for letting me share. This is great. Um, yeah. Thank you. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll give a talk. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. Let me not say stuff because God is, you know, God will do things. Um, but yeah, I'm here to talk. I'll be sitting up front if you want to talk more about this, if it resonates with you. Yeah, I don't know. Whatever works for you works for me. If you like it, I love it. Anyways, thank you. Thank you, Franklin. That was very encouraging. Um, hey, I am uh, Ryan, one of the pastors here. It's great to get to share a message this morning. We are going to step out of 2 Corinthians, and we're actually going to be in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, this morning. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up and follow along. It'll also be up here on the screen. There are also Bibles uh, on the little trays that are underneath the, uh, the seats. So if you do not have a Bible, you're welcome to take that. That is yours. Uh, you can also just use it this morning if you'd like. All right, so Mark 4, verses 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, he, that is Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side, the other side of the lake. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Be still. 
and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your word to speak to us, to minister to us wherever we are. We thank you that your word is living and active and cuts down to the core of our, of our souls and brings conviction and brings faith and brings encouragement and challenges us to trust you. And so I just want to pray this morning that you would work in power this morning through the authority of your word, and that you would help us to hear, to listen, and to hear, and to receive this truth. May your Holy Spirit be powerfully at work in our midst this morning and in all of our hearts. And may you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, this morning, uh, Chipper woke up a little under the weather. He was supposed to be preaching, and I got a, woke up to a phone call from Chipper. Uh, says, hey, you're up. So we decided to make a little swap. And so I'm actually preaching a message from a couple of years ago when we were working through the Gospel of Mark. And, um, you know, as I searched through, I decided not to write a sermon for you in one hour's notice. Uh, I didn't want to inflict that upon you. Uh, but... I'm, I'm grateful that in God's providence, um, we get to open this passage and reflect on a message that I think is, is important for us to hear now. You know, when we were going through this series two years ago, actually, as I, I was going back over these notes, the, the news about uh, the coronavirus in Wuhan was just coming out, and that was actually what I opened the message with, uh, that there had been 14,000 confirmed cases and 300 deaths in Wuhan, and we spent some time praying for them, and who would have known the effect that this would have had on not only that country, but the entire world, and all of our lives here now, even two years later. Uh, but you know what I w I'm so grateful for is the power and the timelessness of God's word to speak to us in every circumstance, in every challenge. Though the headlines may be different today, though our experiences may be different today, God's word remains true and powerful and effective, and so I'm grateful that we get to open that, uh, open this this morning. So I wanted to reflect on three truths that we that we learn about Jesus and that are good for us to remember in the face of any adversity. Three truths from this passage: Jesus's peace, Jesus's power, and Jesus's presence. His peace, his power, and his presence. So we start. Uh, with Jesus' peace, and we want to reflect a little bit on what's happening here, just to bring you up to speed. So Jesus had called his disciples. There had been a long day of, uh, of teaching, and then Jesus decides here in this text to travel across the Sea of Galilee at night to continue preaching to others the next day. And this region is uh, in a basin. So the Sea of Galilee is around 600 uh, feet below sea level, but there are mountains nearby that are around 9,000 uh, feet above sea level. And so while the weather is generally pleasant in this region, 
the, the warm air that rises from the lake, when it mixes with the cold air that's coming off the mountains, can cause these sudden kind of ferocious storms that the region is notorious for. In fact, sailors today even refer to these, these squalls that come up as the shark. Uh, and so you don't want to let the shark get you, right? So as they're sailing across the lake, one of these storms comes upon them. And you could not have a greater contrast in this story than the one that is painted between Jesus and the disciples. The disciples are absolutely panicked. I mean, they are losing their minds. The, the winds are tossing them back and forth. The waves are growing in size, and they're crashing in on this boat. Water is, is filling up the boat, and they think this is it. This is it. The end is near. But Jesus is asleep through all of this. He's in the stern of the ship, sleeping like a baby. And, you know, I have heard of hard sleepers. Uh, perhaps you are one of those. I have been informed from people that, you know, from my wife and my family that I am a hard sleeper when I was, uh, <laughs> when I was a child, when a you know, a young teenager. Uh, my parents bought me a train alarm clock that was the sa literally the sound of a train. Uh, and they thought that this would, you know, help get me out of bed in the morning. And so the train alarm clock would go off at 6 in the morning and wake up everyone in the house except for me. So I would just be sitting there sleeping while the train's going through my room. Uh, but this, you know, this sleeping through a tropical storm when you're in a 25-foot boat in open water, uh, that is a level of hard sleep that I can really only dream of one day achieving. How does Jesus sleep through this storm? He must have been absolutely exhausted. You know, these were long days with late nights where he, was, he would be teaching and healing throughout the day into the evening and then followed by early mornings rising to be in prayer with the Father. In fact, some days in the gospel accounts here, Jesus would minister all day long and then he would stay up in prayer all night and then continue serving others in need the next morning. And so this picture of the, the sleeping Savior is significant because we see his humanity. Even though Jesus was God incarnate, he was really and fully human also. He was worn out from pouring himself out for others. And the disciples are panicking, they're fearful, and they cry out to Jesus, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They're worried, they're petrified, they're panicked. In the most harrowing circumstance, they feel abandoned. And what do they do? They take all of that fear and that frustration, and they launch it as this personal accusation against Jesus. Do you not care? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like the waves were just coming in over and over again? Like you're doing everything you can just to, to keep your head above water. Like you're just hanging on by your fingernails and wondering, God, do you not care? But you notice in Jesus' response to them later after calming the storm, he asked them, why were you so afraid? Well, I can give you a few reasons, Jesus. He does not rebuke them for being concerned. He's not upset with them 
for coming to him and waking him, him up or asking for help. He isn't even upset with them for what they said, even though it was you know, kind of rude. He overlooks that. He asks them about their fear. Matthew Henry, a commentator, says this, He does not chide them for disturbing him with their prayers, but for disturbing themselves with their fears. He wants to know why they were so fearful. And then Jesus makes this direct connection between their fear and their faith, or their lack of faith. He says, do you still have no faith? You know, to the modern Floridian, we may wonder, yeah, doesn't this make sense to be a little scared of a big storm? I mean, that's basically us every single fall as the uh, hurricane season approaches. I don't think that Jesus is saying that it's wrong to have an emotional or, or a physiological response to a threatening situation. After all, Jesus did make us. God did create us, and he knows how our minds and our bodies work. Instead, I think that he's getting at what their reactions reveal about the state of their hearts. You know, as we go along in life, we make decisions every day about we are going, what we're going to look to for our worth, for our meaning, for our significance. We identify something or some set of things that, when in proper relation to them, establish us as valuable or accomplished or, or justified. And those are the things that, when we get them, give us confidence. They give us this sense of assurance, a sense of security. It's very often something like how well we perform in our field or how the opposite sex reacts to us or beating out the competition or reaching a certain status in life or acquiring some possessions or, you know, something like that. But whatever it is, we identify that thing and think that owning it, having it, accomplishing it will give us security. And we may do this consciously or subconsciously, we may show it, we may not show it, but either way, we all are doing this. But it it is in the storms of life, as it were, that this object of our trust is not only revealed, but it's tested. It's in the stock market crash. It's in the loss of a job, or the death of a loved one, or some public failure, or some disappointment that we get to see what we really trust in and how that thing stands up. If we're looking to something or some person or some achievement or any natural thing in this world for our our meaning and our security, then when that thing gets ripped away, and it eventually will, we'll be crushed, we'll be be devastated, we'll we'll be terrified, right? But if our hope and our trust and our security are in something and in someone that can never be taken away from us in God, then even when the hardest and the scariest things in this life happen, we can have peace. Our hands may shake, we may have butterflies in our stomach, we may grieve with tears, but deep down, we can have assurance of who we are and whose we are. And you see that peace on display in Jesus here. Jesus slept not only because he was tired, but because he had utter and complete confidence in God the Father and God's plan. He knew the purpose for which he came and that nothing would happen to him until that plan was completed. 
you know, a couple of years ago, uh, a pastor in Wuhan anonymously wrote this letter at the very beginning of the pandemic. And he began, it was so encouraging to me, he began uh, his letter with this. It was an open letter to the church. And he said this, during these past days, uh, the, the Wuhan pneumonia virus has been at the center of my thoughts in life. I'm always watching the latest news, always thinking about how our family and the church should face this. As for family, I've gathered masks and foodstuffs and have ventured out of doors as little as possible. When venturing out in public, I've worn a mask, but as for the rest, I have placed it in the Lord's hands. As for the church, the safety of our congregation, a faithful witness, the possibility that members could contract the illness have all become a great area of struggle. And it's readily apparent that we are facing a test of our faith. The situation is so critical, yet we are trusting in the Lord's promises, that his thoughts towards us are of peace, not of evil, that he allows for a time of testing, not to destroy us, but to establish us. Therefore, Christians are not only to suffer with the people in this city, but we have a responsibility to pray for those in this city who are fearful and to bring them the peace of Christ. We have such an example in this, this man's writings of one who is trusting in the peace of Christ in the, in the face of a situation that could create tremendous anxiety, but who's demonstrating peace because of Jesus. How often do you feel like the disciples in this story? Frantic, frazzled, worried, disheveled, distraught. Worried if you're performing well enough at work, if you're doing well enough in class, if your kids are getting a good enough education, if you're saving enough to send them to college and be able to retire before you're 90. Anxious about your image and how people perceive you. Anxious about if you said things the right way so as not to offend anyone. Methodically crafting social media posts and then checking them again and again to see how people are responding to you. Jesus wants you to know that your life and your worth and your security do not rest on those things. There is a peace that surpasses all understanding, even in the hardships of life, that comes only from trusting in God. And he wants you to have that. So we're reminded of Jesus' peace here. Secondly, we see Jesus' power. His, his authority. You know, this story is one among many in the Gospel of Mark that illustrates the authority of Christ. The Gospel begins by emphasizing the teaching authority of Christ, that people heard Jesus and were in awe that he was teaching as one who had authority, right? Jesus demonstrated his spiritual authority over evil spirits as he casted out those who were possessed or oppressed by demons. Jesus demonstrated his authority over sickness as he healed those who were lame and sick. And Jesus demonstrated his authority to forgive sins and the healing of a paralytic, as you will recall. But this one may be one of the most spectacular of his miracles in the gospel. Jesus speaks to a storm, and it stops. With the utterance of a word, he calms the waves and stops the howling winds and the driving rain. Jesus demonstrates an unfathomable, unmatchable 
authority over nature? Who can make the rain stop or cause the tornado to cease or stop a hurricane in its tracks? No mere mortal can do that. Only one who is more powerful than nature itself can command and control nature. And the way in which Jesus exercises his authority here is tremendously important for us. You know, if you, if you have the power to stop a storm, there are probably a lot of the ways that you could do it, right? Couldn't you just think, stop, in your mind, and it stops? Or blink, you know, or nod, or, or do like the Jedi wave thing. But Jesus doesn't, he doesn't do that. He speaks, and it stops. He speaks. And it's deliberate. We are meant to make the connection to Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke and brought light out of darkness. God spoke and brought creation out of nothing. God spoke and filled the heavens with celestial bodies, billions and billions of solar systems upon billions and billions of galaxies. God spoke and he separated the waters, creating atmosphere and oceans. He spoke and he created dry ground. He spoke and he made vegetation start to sprout up all over the place. He spoke and placed mammals and reptiles and fish and insects and birds throughout the world. God spoke and out of the dust of the ground, he formed human beings. With a word, God made and ordered all that is. And here, we see Jesus speak. And with the authority of a ruler over creation itself, he tells a storm to stop, and it obeys. Make no mistake about it, Jesus sleeping in the boat was a sign of his humanity, but Jesus speaking to the storm was a sign of his divinity. And you, just, and you see the reaction of the disciples. You know, what I would pay to just get on video to be able to just watch this. You know, I'm hoping that when we get to heaven, there's like some kind of celestial video reel that we can go back and... They are stunned. In fact, it says they're terrified. They're more terrified of Jesus now than they were of the storm a moment ago. You know, they're stuck in this boat and like, okay, what on earth just happened? They're looking to one another and saying, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? They're trying to, to put all these pieces together and they're just completely perplexed. Do you find yourself wondering this question about Jesus? Maybe you've been exploring the faith for a while and you're, you're working through that question. Maybe you're new to this and you're just curious. Maybe you've been a, a professing Christian for some time, but you're finding yourself in a place of uncertainty and doubt. Maybe you're seeking to follow Christ daily, but you've been struggling to really trust that Christ is God, to live like he's God. Who is this? is the question that every one of us has to answer. And it's good to wrestle with, but it's, uh, it's joyous to arrive at a place where that is actually settled in our minds. Who is this? 
the uh, British evangelist Rico Tice tells a story of one time when he was going out to meet some friends at a nice restaurant. He arrived early at the restaurant, and uh, so he was standing there waiting for his friends outside, and this, this young man walked up who looked really familiar to him. He couldn't place him. He, he's like, who, who is this? I know who this person is, but I can't make the connection. And so he, they, they stood there kind of awkwardly for about five minutes, not talking to one another, just kind of like, you know, nodding and smiling, that sort of thing. And then someone walks up to his mysterious friend and says, ah, uh, William, there you are. We're in the private dining room. And, and so they, he they walks off and he realizes this is Prince William. He's been standing next to for five minutes and he's just beating himself up because he's missed the opportunity of a lifetime to have this conversation uh, with, the, with the prince. But he missed it because he didn't recognize that the man standing before him was his future king. Who is this? The Apostle Paul gives us the answer to that question. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by his blood shed on the cross. Isaac Watts captures it well in, his, in one of his hymns. We sing the mighty power of God that made the mountains rise, that spread the flowing seas abroad and built the lofty skies. We sing the wisdom that ordained the sun to rule the day. The moon shines full at his command and all the stars obey. We sing the goodness of the Lord that filled the earth with food. He formed the creatures with his word and then pronounced them good. Lord, how your wonders are displayed wherever we turn our eyes, if we survey the ground we tread or gaze upon the skies. There's not a plant or flower below that makes your glories known, but makes your glories known, and clouds arise and tempests blow by order from your throne. While all that borrows life from you is ever in your care, and everywhere that we can be, you, God, are present there. He's Jesus. Who's Jesus? He's God incarnate, the creator of the universe. Not only up in heaven ruling over creation, but right here in front of their eyes. And now through this story, right here in front of ours. And that leads us to the last point, Jesus' presence. You know, there's a way in which we could rather badly misapply the story. Uh, the danger with any narrative story is to think that because something's narrative, therefore it's normative, and so that because Jesus can do this and he has done it, that he will do it again. And that way of thinking can lead us to these false expectations that God he never really promised us. We may come to expect that because God is powerful enough to do so, and because he cares for us, that God's going to calm the storms of our lives. 
But that's not the point of this passage. And applying it that way is going to set us up for some kind of crisis of disappointment or despair when reality hits. Jesus is abundantly clear. The life of following him is cruciform. He tells his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me daily. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of false things about you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The life of following Christ is cruciform. The point of the story is not that Jesus calms the storms in your life. In fact, you are guaranteed storms. The point is that in the storms of life, God is with you. He is in the boat with you, and you don't need to be afraid. You're not promised safety, but you're promised security in him. You're not guaranteed an easy life, but you're guaranteed an easy yoke with him. You're not assured that life will be only green pastures. There will certainly be dark valleys. But you're assured that he will be with you in the valley, that you will never be alone. And like a good shepherd to his sheep, he will guide you through it to green pastures and still waters, and he will restore your soul in this life or in the next. Two years ago, the Reverend Lawan Andimi, a pastor uh, and church leader in northern Nigeria, was taken hostage by Boko Haram, which was a branch of ISIS in western Africa. And in the hostage video that they had him record, he said this, I never have been discouraged because all conditions that one finds himself is in the hands of God. God who made them to take care of me and to leave me with my life. I still believe that God who made them to act in such a way is still alive and will make all arrangements. By the grace of God, I'll be together with my wife and children. If the opportunity is not granted, maybe it is the will of God. All people Close and far, I urge you to be patient. Don't cry, don't worry, but thank God for everything. Pastor Indimi had to record a, uh, a hostage video. He turned it into a testimony. And he was executed. But here you see the peace that he had in the face of danger because of the confidence that God is alive and is with him. One final point. You know, there's, there's another sleeper in the storm. You recall God sent the prophet Jonah to take this message of judgment to the Assyrians hundreds of years earlier. He was scared out of his wits. He ran the other way, boarded a ship, going the opposite direction. Uh, of course, God has a funny way of catching up with you when you try to run from him. While he was sleeping in the hull, this similarly massive storm came upon the sailors, and they feared for their lives, and they wondered what was going on, but Jonah knew that the storm was a judgment from God. So he told them, throw me overboard, and you'll have peace. So he was cast overboard, 
and the, the winds died down. He delivered himself. Uh, he, he, of course, he was eaten by the, the fish and then coughed out three days later. And if you're putting the, uh, the two stories side by side, you see all kinds of parallels, but there's a key difference in this. Jesus wasn't running away from God's call. He was running towards it. He was moving towards a greater storm. You see, on the cross, Jesus went into the ultimate storm. And that storm, he did not still. He took the full brunt of it. He willingly went into the storm of the cross. And like Jonah, he could say, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. All the waves of punishment, of wrath for sin, of justice, crashed down on Jesus. And Jesus could have just as easily stopped that storm with a word. But instead of using his words to stop the pain, he used his words to give us mercy. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. While Jesus calmed the physical storm here to save his disciples' lives, Later, in the greater spiritual storm, he was cast out of the boat, as it were, to save their souls. And not only theirs, but ours as well. Now his sacrifice calms the spiritual storm that rages in our souls so that we can pass over to safe harbor. Jesus didn't only bow his head as the waves crashed over him. He rose again three days later. And he tells us, just as he told Philip, because I live, you also will live. And we remember with our Nigerian brother, God is indeed alive. And he is with us through every storm. Amen. We turn now to the Lord's uh, Supper. Uh, each week we remember Christ's body broken for us, his blood shed for us, and celebrating communion. It's a way for us to actively remember all that Christ endured for the forgiveness of our sins, the restoration of our souls. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he had a meal with his disciples, and during the meal, he took the bread, and he broke it and said, this is my body that is broken for you. Whenever you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Later on during the meal, he took the cup, and pouring it, he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul writes that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, that we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We remember Christ's body broken for us, we trust in him, and we look ahead to the day when we'll be with him for all eternity. A few words of instruction before we come up. Um, we'll have a moment of silence, just some time to reflect and pray, uh, and then the band will come back up, and we'll have some more music, and you're welcome to come up and receive the bread and the juice after that. Um, there'll be an elder or a deacon here and here, and uh, you can come up and receive the bread from them, and then there are juice cups that will be up here on this table that you can grab as well. Uh, if you This is open to anyone who's a follower of Jesus, and so you don't have to be a regular attender here or anything. If you trust Jesus, you're welcome to come 
and participate. If you're here this morning, you'd say that doesn't describe you. We're thrilled that you're here thinking about these things and spending your Sunday with us. So we just encourage you to use this time to reflect on what we talked about. If you would like, if anyone would like to to talk more, we'd be glad to do that. Uh, Please come and grab me after the service. And also, if you'd like prayer, the elder or the deacon will be available for prayer after serving communion. They'll just be standing up here. So please come and take advantage of that. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you that you are with us in every storm. That you are with us in the mountain, you are with us in the valley. And Lord, that you reveal your care for us in willingly coming into the hardships and the pain of this world and suffering for us on our behalf. For taking to, that you took our sin on the cross that we may be forgiven and have hope now though, though we may face trial, though we may face adversity, Lord, we have hope in you no matter the circumstances. I pray that you would encourage us wherever we are this morning. We are in a place of doubt, of fear. Uh, If we are in a place of discouragement, Lord, would you meet us and minister to us? Lord, if we are are, uh, exploring the faith, God, I pray that your spirit would open our eyes to behold the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Lord, give us faith as we come to the table. In Jesus' name. search the world it couldn't fill me man's empty praise treasures that fade are never enough and you came along and put me back together Every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Show you my weakness 
my failures and flaws. Lord, you've seen them all. You still call me friend. Is the God of the mountain? Is the God of the valley? There's not a place your mercy and grace won't find me again. Oh, oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who can. You turn mourning to dancing. You give beauty for ashes. You turn shame into glory. You're the only one who cares. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Stand with me. Sing this chorus. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. Sing it out. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You turn graves into gardens. You turn bones into armies. You turn seas into highways. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. You're the only one who can. Let's keep singing.
In the darkness we were waiting without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, seeing your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt sing praise the father praise the father praise the son Praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of To reveal the kingdom, to reveal the kingdom coming, and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for our sake you died. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. In the morning that you rose, sing it out. In the morning that you rose, all of heaven held its breath. Till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who'd come, to the Father are restored, and the church of Christ was born, and the Spirit lit the flame. Now the gospel truth of old shall not be, shall not fade. By this blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ who has resurrected me. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of
praise forever to the King of Kings. Praise forever to the King of Kings. Amen. Thank you guys again for joining us for worship. Uh, it's great to see you all. Our benediction comes from the end of 2 Corinthians. Paul writes this. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. This life is over. I'm gonna give up Jesus. Gonna trade this cross for a crown. No, this is not the end. And when you call my name, I will change my hands. There's a mansion in glory, and you're gonna meet. from my eyes.